dyslexia isn't all that bad. There's actually something called a dyslexic advantage because that neurodivergent brain is amazing. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne, and I'm a mental health trailblazer. And join me as we have real conversations about real solutions to kids' problems. And today, we're talking to one of my favorite kids, who's now an adult of all time. Yes, one of my all-time favorites, Kat, who is really an amazing dyslexic who's learned to self-advocate and be an advocate for others with neurodivergent brains. So let's dive in. Hi, I'm Dr. Roseanne, and this is It's Going to Be Okay. And today we're talking to Kat, who is one of my all-time favorite kids I've ever worked with. She's done a lot of things with me, including neuropsych testing, testing for dyslexia, and she's worked with doing neurofeedback a couple times because she's had a sports-related concussion. But why she's here today is to be an inspiration for all the worried parents like you and I who think our kids are going to struggle their whole lives. And hearing her story will help you feel inspired and hopeful. So thank you, Miss Kat, for being here. And she is a psychology student and she's also our intern this summer. So we're so excited for hearing grateful and sharing your dyslexia story. Thank you. So let's talk about your dyslexia story. So you were diagnosed by me <laughs> in in fourth grade. And it's definitely a long story, but like at that time, you know, your parents really did dyslexia testing mm-hmm. and got you support. Kind of tell people a little bit about your journey to get where you are today. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of trusting the people around me and understanding that the little things are always better than the, like, the things that come behind you. So if you keep on going forward, you can only go back a little bit. but you do go back, it's okay. But my parents supported me through everything. And it was very eye-opening every step that I went through just because they always wanted to help me through the journey. And they set me up for success and got me the best help that I needed. They got me to see Dr. Roseanne, which, which was amazing. And just how supportive so many people can be if you find the right people. You did have some awesome people along the way. <laughs> you had some curmudgeons that try to block us and really your dad. <laughs> oh my dad, yeah. This one dad, I'm just saying this dad in particular. So it wasn't always easy. And you know, I think today we've always kept in touch. Kat would just like sometimes stop by to give me a hug, which is why she's one of my favorite kids. And many kids do that, which is amazing. And I'm so I'm just so proud of you because I mean just to hear what you just said. It's the little things that make the difference. And I think that when I work with parents, I try to tell them that so much, but it's not easy because we want everything to be like a piece of cake and you're on the other side of your dyslexia and the journey wasn't always straightforward, right? And talk about how that dyslexia testing helped when you look back and now understanding what fourth grade was like just to give a little frame of reference, Kat's parents sought me out in fourth grade. They were really suspecting Kat, as you're going to see in this interview, is lovely and smart and just always has... A, like I always think of you and you had a, like a sense of fun. Like When Kat left testing, 
I still have it. I told you. She drew a picture of us together and made me like this beautiful card. Like kids don't always do that. And um, so when you got this testing, you had a great teacher. She recognized there was a problem, but the road to getting the right help wasn't easy. And that's what that dyslexia testing did is that we really specified what Kat needed and the kind of reading instruction she needed. Because if your parents hadn't done that, forget about it. Talk about how that dyslexia testing helped you from your perspective. I'll go back to like when I was in fourth grade, I had no clue what my diagnosis meant. I had no clue what testing was. My parents were like, Oh, you're just going to go have fun with Dr. Ozan. You're just going to play some games. And I we did have fun, Kat. We we so much fun. I look back and I was like, if I could just go back and do testing, like I would. It was very stressful to learn that I had a diagnosis and finally have a word to put to everything that was happening. And I think that was the hardest part. But looking back on it, if I wouldn't have had that diagnosis and the word to put to like why I was having a hard time reading, why I wasn't at the same reading level as everyone else, why spelling was hard, why everything was difficult. Without the testing, I wouldn't be where I am today because I had so many wonderful people because I was tested. And I was like put on this path just because of the testing that I had. And your parents, I mean, your dad, made sure you got that right reading intervention. Like they they were not going to allow that to happen, your parents. I think one of the best parts of your parents, plus I just really enjoy them. But when people work with me, sometimes people don't always listen to what I do like what I recommend. And it's like, wait a second, I have, you know, three decades and you coming to, of experience and you're coming to me and this is what you need to do. Your dad was like, got it. Okay, here's the tactical plan. We're doing this, this, this. Is that correct? And I was like, absolutely. I always would prep my pe- my parents. I don't do testing anymore. Please don't contact me. No fits. But I would prepare parents. The testing is so important. Data is so important. But what you actually do in the meeting and what the outcomes are, are equally as important. So I would prepare parents for version A, B, and C. So I think we were a B version in yours. Like we thought it was going to be an A, but I was like, it's never an A. Not in that district. And it's a B. So it was a B, but then, you know, your dad, meaning that what we had expected wasn't exactly going to happen. So they were so prepared. And your dad was like, no, you're going to give my kid this. And we had data. So data is king. Like, it's hard to deny it. And Kat was like classic dyslexic. Like, tell them what you said to me. You were memorizing the books. I would, during like reading time with my parents, we would try and read every night to just maybe it would click at one point. And I was talking to my mom a couple of days ago and she was like, you would look at the wall and read the book. Like you wouldn't even be looking at the words. You would just be able to tell us what was going on because you memorized the book when we read it to you. I would look for the cues from other people being like, was that word wrong? If the word was wrong, I knew from like what people would say around me. Now I know that was... There's uh, your dyslexic advantage. It was. Paying attention to social emotional cues and body language and we're able to fake it. Yeah. And plus, everybody loved you. So, you know, and I think, you know, your fourth grade teacher, I remember, and like I have a, I inherited from my mom, Philomena, a sort of a contextual memory where you can pull up movie reels um, and you can rewatch experiences. It's kind of unbelievable, really pretty cool. Um, So I remember your meeting, like I'm watching it as you're talking to me. And I remember your teacher, because there's a dance that has to happen. The teacher can say certain things. 
but districts control a lot. And please know I've been to hundreds of meetings, you know, more than one state, but largely in Connecticut. And so these IEP meetings, this is what happens. Like they're already predetermined, even though the law says they're not supposed to be. Not every district, but a lot of districts because of just a group think mentality. And so when you got this right help, I think one of the things your parents did, and I think that they're just like rock stars in this, is your parents said to me in this evaluation, right? First, it was like tactical plan. Get my girl what she needs. And I was like, oh, it's, it's happening. Let's go down. And if anybody's... Because I, you know, I actually had way that I worked in a meeting. So my number one way that I work in a meeting, and it's true, I actually would just pretend I was stupid in a meeting and ask questions that I knew the answers to so that other people would think it was their idea. Because if somebody thinks it's their idea, they're more likely to do it. Great tip. Remember that people. Um, (laughs) And then if I knew it was going south, I would, you know, the parents knew they were prepped. Then the real genius, Dr. Roseanne Neo of the Matrix computer brain, it was on like Donkey Kong. So it was a bit of that, but your dad was there. So I didn't have to be as, as, as scary. But your parents then quickly realized, like, what am I going to say to Kat? How am I going to help her understand? And so they just really were open for you with you. And talk about that journey because some of it was awesome and some of it was scary and it wasn't a perfect ride. But ultimately, in the end, you're just so open and so accepting of your neurodivergence and your dyslexia at such an exceptional level. It's from open communication. So talk about that. I first just want to say my parents are amazing and they have set me up for where I am now. And I wouldn't want different parents to go through this with just because they have been my rock through everything. And that is the biggest thing I'm coming out of this. You're going to make me cry. It's not even about me. It's about your parents. They really are amazing. So I totally agree with that. So I'm literally, you know, they, they really are awesome people. I'm going to get a little bit clumped. Sorry. I'm very lucky. Um, But thank you for saying, I mean, what a good egg you are to say that, you know what I mean? So anyway, but, Go ahead because they really are amazing and they did really just man, they got your back. My dad would go to every single meeting and my mom went to every single meeting and they were like, We're gonna fight for you and you're gonna get what you need in the end. And we ended up having 18 PPTs in one year just because my dad and my mom were not happy with what was happening. And that just went back to the communication that we had at home just because from the minute I got a diagnosis, they were doing the reading on how to tell me and how to best support me and what I needed, but also mentally. Like There was a lot of physical changes of, you're getting pulled out of the classroom now. People know something's up. I was in fourth grade and that's when clicks start happening and people start seeing, oh, she's reading different books than we are. This is happening different. She's getting pulled out during our fun time. What's going on there? My dad and my mom switched it to something positive. I soon learned that Being dyslexic wasn't something that was wrong with me. It was an advantage to what I was going to have later in life. And I always remember them telling me, you're going to learn sooner rather than later that this is just going to be a leg up in the future. I always would be like, Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I was a teenager and I didn't want to believe them. But now in college, I look back and I'm like, you set me up for success. Everything that happened happened because I needed it to be. And the communication that we had was so special. I was able to create such a special bond with my sister through it, my mom, my dad, just because they were like, you're going to be successful, like whether you believe it or not. 
just because you have this advantage. No, and, and it really did. And I think one of the most amazing things about you, I, you know, is your self-advocacy skills. So talk about how through this communication, you just became, I, I think of you as a really fierce self-advocate. Like, you know, you told me some stories in high school, you know, they weren't giving you the support that you needed. And you were like, you know, because you had no shame about your diagnosis, you were like, that's just part of who I am. You, yeah. They made it so positive how these self-advocacy skills served you then and today. But like, tell us a time in high school where you used it because you've got some good examples. Oh, I don't know which one to pick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to use them all the time. Oh, yeah. It was a day did not go by where I wasn't learning how to advocate for myself. And I don't know if it's just because my parents are very, very, very strong-willed. If they want it, they will get it. The nicest people. I oh mean, your the last name is sweet for a reason. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the best. But they told me what I deserved and what I needed, and that they basically told me the school would do it. That it was on a sheet of paper, and they're like, "This has to happen. You make it happen. And if you don't make it happen, they'll make it happen." So there was a point when my dad and I were sitting down at the table and he was like, no, you're, I'm not holding your hand through this anymore. You need to advocate for yourself. And I started asking the questions. How do I speak for myself? How do I learn that my voice matters when it comes to my dyslexia? And a lot of people will want to put someone down because of their diagnosis. But it comes a time where you need to control it. And you need to self-accept it, but also make everyone else accept it for who you are. Because they're not going to accept it unless they want to. And you need to make them want to accept it by showing them that you accept it. And I think once I accepted it, the school was like, you know what? She, she, we're not turning back. Like we can't, I didn't let them put me down. And I walked into one of my teacher's classrooms and I was like, you're not giving me what I deserve. This is what is on the sheet of paper. Did you read it? That's probably my favorite thing. And, yeah. and I think what, what happened to you as you really remediated the dyslexia, right? You became a reader at grade level, but then the dyslexia was imp- still impacting your learning and your spelling and all that other stuff. People try to remove that and they try to say, like, well, she doesn't need any sport, you know, support anymore, which is 504. And that's where you even spoke up for yourself. I mean, God forbid, you know, David and Aaron weren't going to let that happen. But you were like, absolutely not. I need this. And I think that couldn't have happened without that open communication, understanding your brain, understanding how you learned, right? I knew what I deserved. And I was hesitant. And I, there will be people that will back me up. I did not want to go back to an IEP. But Looking back on it, it was probably the best decision. I got more support from it. And I learned a little bit more about myself. I, Through having an IEP, I learned that my voice actually matters, which has helped me a lot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... And thank you for sharing that. So along the way, you've learned a lot of kind of learning strategies. You've learned a lot of things. And so impactful because, you know, we can only connect the dots looking back. We can't predict, right? You know, so when you look back at your journey, and I know you're using a lot of these things today, what are what are really we talked about self-advocacy. I think that's just a big strategy and and also educating yourself about the dyslexic brain as a parent and as a kid. What are some strategies you feel like have really helped you today as a college student and just a human being? 
Definitely open communication. It was something that was surrounding me forever. But the conversations that I've had with professors about what I need from them and how to not in a sense, in a sense, level the playing field, even though I might not need it as much now, but there's different conversations that can be had about what I think I need compared to other people, how they could change the class in a whole. I have... There's a really good education program at Marist. And I now speak to them about how they can better support dyslexics in their classroom. And I have challenged their thinking. I have challenged my professor's thinking as well because they'll they think it's one way. But everyone is different. And they've learned that there's no type A student. There's a million different types of students. But strategies, I would definitely say, is open open communication but also just being organized. The more organized that I was, the more I was able to cope with it. I think I learned that through wanting to hide it. If I was more organized, no one knew because it looked like I had my stuff together when behind the scenes, I didn't have my stuff together. But if everyone thought that I did, I felt better about myself. And now the more organized that I am, I'm not missing assignments. I turn things in early. I'm doing so much with like little time. And it is so special, the conversations that I get to have now. And I get to do stuff like this. And some are internships that would never have been a thought in fourth grade, just because of the strategies that I've learned and how I've been willing to push myself through the strategies, not to cover them up, but to enhance everything. Because you're okay with yourself. like, And I think it's really a hard journey you know, when you understand you learn differently at first, you know, along the way, you're like, why is this so hard? I'm working so hard. But then when you really put like an understanding to it about the brain, whether you want to call it a diagnosis or whatever, you're not going to get the right support unless we really identify what the problem is. And, you know, I was one of those few people that specialize in dyslexia assessments because I literally was like, these are the exact areas that are missing. This is exactly how you have to work on it which isn't what's done. It's definitely not done typically in a school system. And even privately, it's hard to find uh, an evaluator. And if somebody's looking for a private evaluation, you really want to identify a dyslexia specialist. You don't want just a general, a generalist, even if they tell you they you know, do that. You need a literacy evaluation. And I just happened, well, you all guys know me, I dig deep into everything. But that was part of my doctoral training was intensity in that. And that you have to, you understood yourself at a micro level so that you could make macro change. And I think that was really important. Along the way, so we did neurofeedback when you were dyslexic, right? So you did reading intervention. So brain behavior reset. We worked on your brain. We changed your behaviors, which were reading behaviors. You know, she was as sweet as could be. And and not that kids aren't sweet, but she didn't have behavioral issues. Her issues were learning issues. And so we addressed that with proper reading instruction. She really grew and improved. But you also had some pretty heavy-duty sports concussion, which altered your whole college path of what you were going to do and really struggle in high school. Talk about what you recall with neurofeedback. And actually, even as our intern getting some neurofeedback now, talk about how you feel like that has been helpful for you. Neurofeedback is such a special aspect of my journey. And I will speak highly about it forever. And especially with my concussions, it was one of the only things that worked. 
there were only three things that I can count of that have worked in the three years that we were trying to figure it out and work through it. And we were able to fine tune the exact things that needed to set me up for success, even following a time when I didn't know who I was, which is kind of scary. But in fourth grade, when we started doing neurofeedback, I was able to have an aspect that I was able to control. Because as simple as it sounds, I was able to control the movie that I wanted to watch. I was in a time in my life where I had no control. Mm -hmm. My parents had every minute of my day scheduled to when I read, when I did my homework, when I went to bed, all these different things to try and take back my life. And just being able to choose what movie I wanted to watch started this love for neurofeedback and the way that I felt. I felt so calm and I felt empowered because I was controlling something in my life because I was able to see the immediate feedback. And now getting to do it again is so special just because I look back on how excited I was and how I'd be like, Oh, it's Thursday. Time to go get neuro. You've never said that to me. So I didn't know that. And you know, just so everybody knows, control is very healthy in mental health, right? Healthy control. What she's talking about is her brain. First of all, you select the movies when you're here. You get to pick these really cool movies. But it's learning how to control your brain. And you do it really quick. And it's very empowering to be able to be like, holy cow, I can control my brain. And once you really kind of understand that feedback, you can see an immediate effect. And it it gave you a sense of control in a time when things felt out of control. You were very keenly aware that reading was hard for you. Like you, you know, you were like, it's hard. I don't know what to do, Dr. Rowe, you know? And I just always remember like, we're going to get you the right help. Don't you worry. It's going to happen. And I definitely knew we were going to get you the right help because, you know, the way it works in special ed meetings, when the, when the dad shows up, forget about it. Like, you know, when they say the right things, people kind of, we're a patriarchal society. And when people, when men show up and advocate for their kids, it's really, a powerful thing. Not that women aren't important. I'm just saying it's a patriarchal society. And it's part of these meetings is to, I don't want to call it a game, but it's using every tactic you can to get the right support. And I'm not saying schools are bad. They're not. It's just they're overwhelmed. They, they, people still don't understand dyslexia cat. It's kind of scary that they don't, right? It's very scary. Very scary. Like teachers would be like, I still don't understand what dyslexia is. I'd be like, what? You know, I remember one time I was in a meeting a long time ago and the teacher was like, well, she was a special ed teacher teaching reading. She said, well, dyslexia is very rare and I don't see it that often. I've been teaching for 26 years. I said, what? So common. It's ridiculous. You know, right? I think you probably have had that for sure. Do you have a child that dysregulates at the drop of a hat? Maybe they're cranky and moody and rigid and inflexible. Well, I've got the key to unlock the secrets of successful self-regulation for your child. And in our free resource guide, 147 therapist-endorsed self-regulation strategies for children, it's a practical guide for parents and it's a game changer. You can access your copy now and discover practical strategies endorsed by therapists like me. Don't miss out and download here at drrosanne.com forward slash regulate. That's drrosanne.com forward slash regulate. 
So how can neurofeedback, like your experience is amazing. How do you feel like for parents that are considering for either for themselves, we do families too, um, or kids, how do you feel like it can help other kids in your experience, whether it's they're actually how they feel about themselves and having control or making their brain work faster? How do you feel like it could help them? Like I said, I was able to have little bits of control over my life because I was able to pick the movie. So my parents saw it as this like way that I was able to have an outlet because they always were like, you need to find something that you love in your day so that you can look forward to that. And it was always something that I looked forward to just because I knew that I was changing something that everything else wasn't able to help. Like there was a lot of negative thoughts around my disability and how I was and how I learned just because no one guided me to think differently yet. Yeah. No, that to me, I mean, it's amazing that perspective. And how do you feel around a session? Like, what is it like? I mean, you just did a session earlier this week. I saw you right after, you know, what did you say to me? How did you feel? I felt so calm and I felt powerful in a sense. I was doing something for myself. And I feel like normally I don't do things for myself. And it was very nice to see the immediate feedback of going into it, being stressed with a million things on my mind. And then the simplicity of sitting down and watching Harry Potter and then leaving it being like, okay, I'm good. I'm calm. You know, and, and what you probably don't remember, and I don't know how much mom and dad told you this, when you were a kid, one of the areas we're really focusing on was working memory so that we could support your memory system when you were decoding words. And that's really where we had a big gain because as they taught you to decode and just to understand dyslexia, when you're decoding a word, reading is the most complex neurological process you'll ever do, reading and writing, right? So those literacy and they're tied in coding and decoding. I don't want to get geeked out on you. But what happens is you don't have unlimited memory capacity. If you're reading the word neurofeedback, your brain has to decode and dyslexics often decode letter by letter. Sometimes they do combinations like, you know, phonological combinations, but they don't read that with automaticity. They don't go neuro feed back. They probably are still going, mm, er, r, oh, non-remediate dyslexics. So the brain doesn't have unlimited capacity. So one of the things that was weaker in your brain was working memory. And that was one of the areas that we worked on in order to improve plus the phonics area of your brain. We worked in the phonics area. So it's really cool. So you, you, we went in directly worked on that. What do most people feel is calm focus, right? So that's pretty awesome. Question for you. How has like this whole process of working with us, how has it prepared you for the challenges and some really cool opportunities you've had? both in high school and college life, like what do you feel like has best prepared you? I would definitely say the supportiveness of this office. Every single time, no matter what I came in for, I felt an aspect of love and I felt so cared for and so appreciated, even by someone who didn't even know me. And I still remember every person who has helped me, I could tell you something about them and how much they have meant to me and my family and how much they've helped me and how I think about my future and how I want to have the same impact that they had on me on other people. And thinking about the challenges, I 
knew I had a team behind me that wasn't my family. And if I needed anything, I could just call and be like, Hey, I don't know what to do. And there would be someone there that even if they had no clue who I was, they'd be like, all right, we'll help you. But I'm so, I can't even tell you how much that fills my heart to, for you to say that, because that is what we do when you are struggling, right? You know, you have your family, family with you, but to have a team, and I'm glad that you felt that. So I, and you know, I think you're incredibly special. I mean, obviously everybody's special, but you know, I've got the privilege of always staying in contact with you, you know, so it's really awesome. And I think, I mean, I couldn't be prouder of you, but I think one of the things that I'm most proud about is that you are really become an advocate for neurodivergence and disabilities and talk about what your impact was at college, like how you changed something at your college for all the other kids who are neurodivergent coming forward into your university. So I have always hated that it was called a disability and it was looked down upon. And I don't know if that's just how I grew up, but my parents always saw it as a positive. And I will tell them that till the day that I can't ever tell them anymore. But the way that they brought me up is the reason I wanted to pursue this. I'm a, I go to Marist and they have a learning support program. And on the form, it had me write, what is my disability? And you had to write an essay on why they should accept you into their very helpful program. And I wrote my entire thing on how it should be late. You should have a learning difference and how disability puts you in a box, a box that no one should be put into and a box that is very hard to escape. But once you can escape the box, you are able to look at life in a different realm than before. And I think it's very important to see it as a learning difference because I, I wrote this down that we all learn differently in a class of 32 people. There is no person that'll learn the exact same as you. That's right. And it is very important that you flip your belief on what is in a sense on a piece of paper that is a label of yours. You should flip your way that you think about it. And once I was able to see it as a difference instead of a disability, my I was a lot happier. I accepted myself more. I achieved a lot bigger things in a short amount of time just because I believed who I was in a different way. Yeah. And you see your potential, you know, as we talked about going to grad school, when you're at school and, you know, you're in a, a school that has an awesome program for kids that have dyslexia or ADHD, it's definitely unique. Not every college has one and you have to be accepted into it. You have to be, you know, a student who's like, Hey, I own this, you know, and I want some extra help. How common is dyslexia and ADHD and learning differences? Do you almost feel like everybody's got it at school? Like, what is it like for you? I have opened up to a couple of friends of mine and like people I've worked with on projects and like I'll mess. I still spelling still hard and these terms in psych, they they're long and I'm like, all right, can we make them a little easier? But I'll be like, oh, sorry, I'm dyslexic. And I'll say it. So like as like a joke, because I am, but also that I kind of open up the water to who I am as a person with these people that I'm working on a project with. And they're like, Oh, that's fine. My dad's, my dad's dyslexic. Oh, my sibling's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. And it's kind of 
opened up my eyes that at a school growing up, I felt like I was the only person that had that label and word on a paper. But now I'm at school and it feels like I'm surrounded by people who know who I am and I don't ever have to explain it. I never have to explain that I didn't know how to read when I was little. And it's kind of like a known thing of how far I've become. And my teachers, my friends, my advisors, they're all so proud of everything that I've done. And I didn't even have to tell them about the journey leading up to college. And I'll be like talking to people and they're like, Oh, I can't spell too. Maybe I'm dyslexic. And I'm like, you never know. And there's... I want to I want to unpack that for a moment because you felt like you were the only dyslexic. Absolutely no way. I mean, dyslexia is so common. 80% of children in special education have a literacy goal does not mean they are dyslexic. There's other episodes go back and listen about, you know, dyslexia. I have a great blog. I'll put it in the show notes. Um nine signs of, you know, signs of dyslexia, but if you've got a kid who's had early issues with phonics, if they've been identified in school, unless they've had a really improper instruction, they're probably dyslexic. What was different about you is that you not only got identified, you got identified relatively early, still still later than we would have liked. But these people that can't, you know, spelling issues is a red flag for dyslexia. Um, And the dyslexic brain is higher IQ than normal. They definitely have many advantages. They can compensate. It's very common for dyslexics that are alert to, you know, have alertness as a strength to memorize and pretend. So fourth, third grade, fourth grade are big years because we, we stop learning to read in third grade. So they don't get phonics instruction anymore. And fourth grade, the ramp up is writing. So for you, when you looked at your writing, it was like, hello, this girl can't spell. (laughs) I went through, my mom has these boxes of all the stuff that we wrote when we were growing up. I looked at it. I was like, mom, what was I trying to write? And she's like, no, but it's great. I was like, yeah. How did I get a grade? Yeah. Well, and you know, and that's why the teacher was like, wait a second. And, And there was confusion about you. And hopefully this is resonating with people. There was confusion because you looked like you could read, but you have to have phonics. We need phonics even in adulthood. So we need a phonetic backup system. When you see a word you don't know, you now know, Kat, you have to go back in your mind to the Orton Wilson instruction you got. And you have to say, okay, I'm going to attack the word by the chunks. That's a phonetic backup system. It's still not automatic in the same way for you, but now you're a totally normal reader. Okay. And spelling, it's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's okay. We, we have lots of things that can help you. And I mean, now with voice dictation being like nothing, I mean, Giancarlo, my dyslexic does an amazing job because he clicks the button in the Google Doc and he says what he's, you know, what he's thinking. And then he goes back and he learns to fix it and stuff like that. So there's so many advantages. But, you know, for those people who are unsure that they might have dyslexia, it's really worse even as a young adult to get evaluated because you might get some services and supports at school. But you are absolutely amazing, Kat. And for people that are, you know, looking to work one on one with us, which I'm not going to be doing forever, people. It's, it, it, if you're looking to work with us, this is the time. I'm not going to say more than that, but you can go to drrosanne.com forward slash help. 
to take a solution matcher and we have solutions at every level. Um, and yes, one-on-one is part of that. But you are really like, I just always look forward to the next thing for you. And you are an amazing advocate and human being. And your parents are just going to be so proud of this because of what you've done for yourself and also to honor them, you know, because they're really awesome people. And I love them because they listen to me. <laughs> we, we were talking about it, I think after my first day and they were like, yeah, we'd sit down the day before and be like, okay, what does Dr. Roseanne say we need to do? And then I started to get in on these conversations. I'm like, you're like trained. Like, you know what they're, you're talking about from parents yeah. that are like, Dr. Roseanne, what do we do? Now they're well, like, you know, oh. I'm you know, they're here. so funny. Well, and it's just so cute, but they understood the power of their own advocacy as parents. And you just because you have an IEP doesn't mean it's really giving you the help you need. And you realize that and they realize that and they pushed. Yeah. So uh, they are your partners. And but you ultimately had to do the work. But you know, if they weren't cracking the whip, forget about it. So anyway, I hope this has been really inspiring. If you're really worried about your kids who is a dyslexic or you suspect, get an evaluation, push, push, push with advocacy. Every state learning disability association, you can, um, they typically have, you know, a registry of advocates. Some are free, not many, but getting an advocate is really important. And my actual friend, Pete Wright. He has a wonderful advocacy book from emotions to advocacy. Please get all of his stuff. And it's right with a W-R-I-G-H-T-S. Please get all of his things because it's amazing. Uh, he's a dyslexic himself um, in his 70s, but it's important to get your kids the right kind of help. But I can't wait to see what's ahead of you, Kat. And I really just love you and am inspired by you. And I hope that everyone sees that their kid's going to be okay when they take the right steps. Thank you. I know parenting is hard. I'm a special needs mom times two. And if you're here listening, my guess is you've got a kid who's got a different kind of brain. And I hope you were inspired to take action and do things differently for your child that are natural to help them find themselves, love themselves. Because if you just listened, you know how amazing Kat is and your child can have the same experience too. 